Hi, this is Al Jensen, and welcome to Seniors, S-E-N-I-O-R-Z-Z. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament, Matthew 6 and 7. And there is so much to cover there, it's just incredible. But what I'm going to do is going to try to bring out some of the highlights and then uh, talk a little bit about the application today and uh, exactly what that means and how we might be able to use some of the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount today. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about the Sermon on the Mount as a whole and why the Savior did this. And if you think about it, there came a time when the Lord needed to provide training for all the people out there in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Sermon on the Mount pretty much encompasses all the facets of the gospel. If you look through it very carefully, it's uh, it's all there. And uh, it integrates the Ten Commandments. It integrates the new um, gospel that was brought forth by the Savior. And all those things have been brought together on this sermon. And if you look at it, it, it goes all the way from how to pray to, uh, you know, how to avoid being a hypocrite. I mean, it's just incredible. So let's start with the understanding that a lot of this um, was given as um, an analogies, as a parable to a certain degree. Is he compares things to um, trumpets, to grain, to seeds, to all the things back then that people could relate to. And, for example, in Matthew 6, verses 1, it says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. And so what the Savior is telling us there is, if you're going to do something, probably the best way to do it is in secret. You know, is uh, without... Uh, standing in front of people and telling them what, what you've done and where you've done it. I, I've i run into that situation with people in in, in terms of uh, fasting and how someone will come up to you and say, you know, I've fasted this long or we fasted and prayed for this or we did that or we did this and this miracle took place and yada, yada. Whereas in all reality, a lot of that stuff is basically, you know, sounding off your trumpet. And uh, the F- Father in Heaven says no. You know, be careful with that. You know, do it in secret. And the same thing goes with prayer. He says, uh, be careful that when you pray to me, that you don't use vain repetitions. I recall my dad all the time, as <laughs> we'd give the blessing on the food, it'd be almost the same thing every time. You know, it's just the same words. And I thought, you know, there's got to be something here that the Lord gets tired of. And, you know, what can we do to to, you know, plead with him and talk to him a little bit more intimately and with things that would, uh, you know, be of import to us. And he goes on to say that, uh, you know, forgive those that have debts, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil and forgive men of their trespasses against you. And if you do not forgive them, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. And so, you know, how tough is that sometimes? Uh, I've run into several situations where we're in a business opportunity. Someone has deceived me or someone has done things that are, are not necessarily uh, above board. And boy, I tell you, it was hard to forgive them. It, it was hard to let that go. And the Savior says that, you know, our responsibility is to do that. The Savior's responsibility is to take care of it down the road, and he will. And I think that's a tough one to swallow sometimes, a tough pill to swallow, simply because 
You know, we want vengeance. We want it taken care of right now. He talks about fasting. And when thou fastest, uh, anoint thy head and wash thy face. And appear not unto men unto, to, to fast and to, you know, do it in secret. And again, our Father in Heaven doesn't want us to make a show of the things that we do. You know, He doesn't want us to, you know, share sacred things that have happened to us, to, to crowds. I've heard in situations where people have stood up and over congregations and expressed very sacred things that have happened to them that probably should not have been talked about. And the Lord wants us to be very careful with that and to hold these things to our own. And then he finally says, lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, don't put your treasures here on earth. Xavier goes on to talk about the light of the body is the eye. And if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And I've noticed that as an artist, that the thing that uh, really defines a person or anything, animals that I do, I do a lot of paintings of dogs and cats and whatever, that I always make it a special point to get their eyes right. That the eyes is basically defines the personality of the, of the person, who they are. Chapter 7, it goes on and talks about judgment. And I think this is a big one. For it's in a lot of schemes, in a lot of situations, we end up judging other people. And just from their looks or their attitude or what they say or whatever. But the Lord says, judge not that ye be not that ye be judged. And we'll be judged on the same terms that we judge someone else. And he goes on to say, if you look at someone in the, and, and they, you say, oh my gosh, look at him. He's, uh, he's got a situation that uh, he is, you know, he's in trouble or he's, you know, doing the wrong thing or whatever. And you see the beam in his eye and, uh, or the moat in his eye, as the Savior says. And then look about and see what, that you might have the beam in your eye. In other words, the bigger problem might be on your side than it is his. And if you say to him, to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. You know, another interesting thing he brings up is, is giving holy things to the dogs. And I don't know why he used dogs back then, but... I think the reason is is because if you see you know a piece of meat and a bunch of dogs they they go crazy over it. I mean they're just fighting and then you know trample it and whatever or cast your pearls before swine where they were going to trample on it you know in the mud and whatever. I mean he puts it there's a great analogies there. He puts visual pictures for us. And and holy things, what are holy things? Well holy experiences, holy, you know, um instances in our life uh you know holy things that the lord has us participate in um you know those kinds of things uh as mentioned by uh as sacred and 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 holy things uh, shared in an inappropriate way uh become no longer become holy and i go back to when i heard people share experiences in particular testimony meetings sometimes of very sacred and holy things that have happened to them that should never have been shared and uh and there lose the effectiveness of that and no longer becomes a holy thing because it's again given to the public you know one of the things is as i think is very important and i realize in missionary work that um the lord says you know, 
knock and it shall be open, seek and you shall find. You know, and he says before, there's always the, the uh, verb that says knock and seek. For the Lord doesn't knock and the Lord doesn't seek. He waits for us. We have to do the knocking and seeking. And he, he knows that if we indeed approach him and knock at his door, he is waiting on the other side for us so that we can listen and be a part of uh, his love and, and caring. How many situations have we been in where you see a, a person who is really in need and you just kind of pass it by? Uh, it's been in, in my situation several times. Or we make a token gesture. You know, um, maybe, you know, there's someone's going through some pretty tough times and you, you, you know, maybe take over a pizza for them or something. Well, that's good. Don't get me wrong. And that's, uh, you know, a nice thing to do. But how much better would it be that if you go over there and maybe said, I offer to take care of your kids or what can I do over time to mow your lawns, you know, take care of your lawns or your yard work or things like that, that you don't have to worry about anymore. And so in... In what the Lord says is you're giving him bread, not a stone. You know, you're not giving him a serpent if he asks for a fish. So the same goes to, to think about the gifts that you give. How much more will our Father in Heaven give to us if we give good gifts to others? The Lord says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that goeth thereat. And why is that? Well, certainly it's so much easier, so much broader, so much available to sin than it is not to sin. And if it wasn't, then, then we wouldn't do it, right? And so I tell people, if sinning wasn't fun, or sinning wasn't easy, then nobody would do it. And so the, Satan has made it very easy for us to do these kinds of things, for us to get involved with things that are not necessarily of God's will. And, and unfortunately, it leads people down the wrong path. In certain situations, I've ran across individuals who, who proclaim or profess things that are not necessarily gospel truths. And... I was approached the other day about a situation with Joseph Smith and some of the things that might have happened back then. And in essence, you know, I asked about where they got the information or how it came to be or, you know, where they found out about this. And the sources became incredulous. The, you know, from so-and-so, word of mouth, or I read this book or something like that. And these people as convincing as they are, you know, in essence are false prophets. And they approach others, as the Lord says, in sheep's clothing. In other words, they approach you and I in a manner that is very, very congenial, very kind, very understanding. You know, the devil, if he were here today and uh, you were to look around and try to find him, you know, probably the most intelligent, good-looking, uh, well-dressed person would probably be the one who's the devil. You know, he's not going to stand out in, uh, in, in horns of blackness and proclaim that uh, he's going to come and attack you. And so I think that the best way to determine if a person's living a righteous life 
or if he's a non-righteous life, is to watch what they do. Because of the fruits, of the things that they do, of the things that they profess, are they practicing those? By their fruits, do you know them? Are they, are they doing the things that the Lord would have them do? The Lord says that every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fires. And so he says, wherefore, by their fruits shall ye know them. And finally, the Lord says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will come unto me in that day, say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew ye depart with me from ye that work iniquity. Wow. I do know of several people who have been blessed with the the ironic Melchizedek priesthood and even gone through the temple on missions who have today, who have eliminated all those things from their life to a certain degree. And I'm sure there might come a time, and I don't know exactly when that's when that will be, when they will go back and say, well, Lord, I've look at all the things that I've done. Okay, I've served it to your mission. I've, you know, blessed all these people. I've done all that. And what the Lord says to them in this, in the Sermon on the Mount, is that it doesn't matter, really, if you live unrighteously, that all the things that you've done will be gone. That basically all the wonderful things in the past, and if you're not living up to those covenants to the last day, they are no longer effective. You know, and the Lord says uh, that if a person is not righteous and lives up to the example of the priesthood, that priesthood is gone. Amen to that priesthood. And he says in verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Lord finally says, and I think uh, is something that we all got to take, you know, to heart on this, is that if you will hear these sayings of mine, all the things that I've taught you, and practice them, you're like a man who builds his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. My two neighbors um, <clears throat> built their homes. Uh, our home in our, in our area was kind of built on a on a garbage dump, believe it or not. And and our home was kind of more off to the side of that, and and did not the garbage dump did not run through our lot. But the other two homes across the street from us had that problem, and and sure enough. Over time, the house started to sink, and it sunk at, at such a proportion that inside their homes, things like, you know, their floors and wall joints and things like that started to crack. So they had to hire in a, a, a crew to come in and lift their home. I've never seen that happen. It's miraculous to me how they do that, and you know, they go in and dig around the footings and put big pylons in the ground and then they're able to, with hydraulic lifts, lift up that home. Well, the Lord's trying to say that things sink and things will fall away if they're built upon a foundation that is not solid. A man that builds his house or his life on a sandy foundation is just going to be blown and carried away. And... He advises us to do everything we can to build a strong home, 
that when the winds of adversity come and then the false prophets approach us, that when we're tempted to do things that are not right, that we're standing upon a rock and that this rock will not be blown away. So I love the Sermon on the Mount and we could spend hours and hours and hours on it to go through just each one of these points. But I think if we were to summarize and go back over some of the things that the Lord said is one of them, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat him as low you'd like to be treated. Do things that the Lord would have you do in secret. Don't blow a trump trumpet to let people know, but do them in secret. Build your house on a strong foundation. Make sure that uh, you are prepared for the winds of adversity. And then finally, make sure that you're not living a hypocritical life, that you're not, on one hand, doing things that are not in accordance with the gospel, and on the other hand, you're doing what you can to prophesy or profess to others that you are living to the gospel. In other words, you're living as a hypocrite. Don't do that. You know, a man on the fence, fence, fence sitter is, you know, there's no such thing. Either you're either you're white or you're black. In the eyes of the Lord, there's no gray. So I think the Lord is asking us to make a decision to go with him, to turn a righteous life, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and to help other people as he would help us and to love other people as he, would, as he loves us and to feed his sheep. So thank you for listening. This wraps up another lesson on the... Sermon on the Mount. I hope that there was a couple of points there that you picked up on. Uh, I know I did, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be able to deliver this. So we'll see you next week, and I'm signing off for Seniors. That's S-E-N-I-O-R-Z-Z-Z. Seniors, S-E-N-I-O-R-Z-Z-Z. Thank you. Xavier goes on to talk about the light of the body is the eye. And if thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. And I've noticed that as an artist, that the thing that uh, really defines a person or anything, animals that I do, I do a lot of paintings of dogs and cats and whatever, that I always make it a special point to get their eyes right. That the eyes is basically defines the personality of the, of the person, who they are. Chapter 7, it goes on and talks about judgment. And I think this is a big one. For us, in a lot of in a lot of situations, we end up judging other people, and just from their looks or their attitude or what they say or whatever. But the Lord says, "Judge not that ye be not that ye be judged, and we'll be judged on the same terms that we judge someone else." And He goes on to say, "If you look at someone and the and and they you say, oh my gosh, look at him. He's uh, he's got a situation that." Uh, he is, you know, he's in trouble or he's, you know, doing the wrong thing or whatever. And you see the beam in his eye and, uh, or the moat in his eye, as the Savior says, and then look about and see what, the, that you might have the beam in your eye. In other words, the bigger problem might be on your side than it is his. And if you say to him, to thy brother, let me pull out the moat of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. 
Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. You know, another interesting thing he brings up is is giving holy things to the dogs. And I don't know why he used dogs back then, but I think the reason is is because if you see, you know, a piece of meat and a bunch of dogs, <laughs> they, they go crazy over it. I mean, they're just fighting and then... You know, trample it and whatever, or cast your pearls before swine where they were going to trample on it, you know, in the mud and whatever. I mean, he puts it, there's a great analogy there. He puts visual pictures for us. And and holy things, what are holy things? Well, holy experiences, holy, you know, um, instances in our life, uh, you know, holy things that the Lord has us participate in. Um, you know, those kinds of things, uh, as mentioned by, uh, as sacred and, and, and holy things, uh, shared in an inappropriate way, uh, become, no longer become holy. And I go back to when I heard people share experiences in particular testimony meetings sometimes of very sacred and holy things that have happened to them that should never have been shared. And uh, and there lose the effectiveness of that and no longer becomes a holy thing because it's, again, given to the public. You know, one of the things is, is I think is very important, and I realize in missionary work that um, the Lord says, you know, knock and it shall be opened, seek and you shall find. You know, and he says before, there's always the, the uh, verb that says knock and seek. For the Lord doesn't knock and the Lord doesn't seek. He waits for us. We have to do the knocking and seeking. And he He knows that if we indeed approach him and knock at his door, he is waiting on the other side for us so that we can listen and be a part of uh, his love and, and caring. How many situations have we been in where... You see a, a person who is really in need, and you just kind of pass it by. Uh, it's been in, in my situation several times. Or we make a token gesture, you know. Um, maybe, you know, there's someone's going through some pretty tough times, and you, you, you know, maybe take over a pizza for them or something. Well, that's good. Don't get me wrong. And that's, uh, you know, a nice thing to do. But how much better would it be that if you go over there and maybe said, I offer to take care of your kids or what can I do over time to mow your lawns, you know, take care of your lawns or your yard work or things like that, that you don't have to worry about anymore. And so in, in what the Lord says is you're giving him bread, not a stone. You know, you're not giving him a serpent if he asks for a fish. So the same goes to, to think about the gifts that you give. How much more will our Father in Heaven give to us if we give good gifts to others? The Lord says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that goeth thereat. And why is that? Well, certainly it's so much easier, so much broader, so much available to sin than it is not to sin. And if it wasn't, then then we wouldn't do it, right? And so I tell people, if sinning wasn't fun or sinning wasn't easy, then nobody would do it. And so the, Satan has made it very easy for us 
to do these kinds of things, for us to get involved with things that are not necessarily of God's will. And, and unfortunately, it leads people down the wrong path. In certain situations, I've ran across individuals who who proclaim or profess things that are not necessarily gospel truths. And I was approached the other day about a situation with Joseph Smith and some of the things that might have happened back then. And in essence, you know, I asked about where they got the information or how it came to be or, you know, where they found out about this and... The sources became incredulous. The you know from so and so, word of mouth, or I read this book, or something like that. And these people, as convincing as they are, you know, in essence, are false prophets. And they approach others, as the Lord says, in sheep's clothing. In other words, they approach you and I, in a manner that is very, very congenial, very kind, very understanding. You know, the devil, if he were here today and uh, you were to look around and try to find him, you know, probably the most intelligent, good-looking, uh, well-dressed person would probably be the one who's the devil. You know, he's not going to stand out in, uh, in, in horns and blackness and proclaim that uh, he's going to come and attack you. And so I think that the best way to determine if a person's living a righteous life or if he's a non-righteous life, is to watch what they do. Because of the fruits, of the things that they do, of the things that they profess, are they practicing those? By their fruits, do you know them? Are they, are they doing the things that the Lord would have them do? The Lord says that every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fires. And so he says, wherefore, by their fruits shall ye know them. And finally, the Lord says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And many will come unto me in that day, say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess unto them, I never knew ye depart with me from ye that work iniquity. Wow. I do know of several people who have been blessed with the the ironic Melchizedek priesthood and even even gone through the temple on missions who have today who have eliminated all those things from their life to a certain degree and I'm sure there might come a time and I don't know exactly when that's when that will be when they will go back and say well lord I've look at all the things that I've done okay I've served it to your mission I've you know blessed all these people I've done all that and what the Lord says to them in this, in the Sermon on the Mount, is that it doesn't matter, really, if you live unrighteously, that all the things that you've done will be gone. That basically all the wonderful things in the past, and if you're not living up to those covenants to the last day, they are no longer effective. You know, and the Lord says uh, that if a person is not righteous and lives up to the example of the priesthood, that priesthood is gone. Amen to that priesthood. And he says in verse 23... And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Lord finally says, and I think uh, is something that we all got to take, 
you know, to heart on this is that if you will hear these sayings of mine, all the things that I've taught you and practice them, you're like a man who builds his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. My two neighbors um, <clears throat> built their homes. Uh, our home in our, in our area was kind of built on a on a garbage dump, believe it or not. And and our home was kind of more off to the side of that, and and did not the garbage dump did not run through our lot. But the other two homes across the street from us had that problem, and and sure enough, over time the house started to sink, and it sunk at, at such a proportion that. Inside their homes, things like, you know, their floors and wall joints and things like that started to crack. So they had to hire in a, a, a crew to come in and lift their home. I've never seen that happen. It's miraculous to me how they do that. And they go in and dig around the footings and put big pylons in the ground. And then they're able to, with hydraulic lifts, lift up that home. Well... The Lord's trying to say that things sink and things will fall away if they're built upon a foundation that is not solid. A man that builds his house or his life on a sandy foundation is just going to be blown and carried away. And he advises us to do everything we can to build a strong home that when the winds and adversity come, and then the false prophets approaches that when we're tempted to do things that are not right, that we're standing upon a rock and that this rock will not be blown away. So I love the Sermon on the Mount and we could spend hours and hours and hours on it to go through just each one of these points. But I think if we were to summarize and go back over some of the things that the Lord said is one of them, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat him as low you'd like to be treated. Do things that the Lord would have you do in secret. Don't blow a trump trumpet to let people know, but do them in secret. Build your house on a strong foundation. Make sure that uh, you are prepared for the winds of adversity. And then finally... Make sure that you're not living a hypocritical life, that you're not, on one hand, doing things that are not in accordance with the gospel, and on the other hand, you're doing what you can to prophesy or profess to others that you are living to the gospel. In other words, you're living as a hypocrite. Don't do that. You know, a man on the fence, a fence, fence sitter is, you know, there's no such thing. Either you're, either you're white or you're black. In the eyes of the Lord, there's no gray. So I think the Lord is asking us to make a decision to go with him, to turn a righteous life, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and to help other people as he would help us and to love other people as he, would, as he loves us and to feed his sheep. So thank you for listening. This wraps up another lesson on the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that there was a couple of points there that you picked up on. Uh, I know I did, and I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be able to deliver this. 
So we'll see you next week, and I'm signing off for Seniors. That's S-E-N-I-O-R-Z-Z-Z. Seniors, S-E-N-I-O-R-Z-Z-Z. Thank you.